Well, good afternoon. Um, it is, uh, it's great to be back uh, after Easter. We were off for a couple of weeks there, so it's lovely to have you uh, back with us. Um, today, we're starting a, a new series today. Um, I'm sure you, you maybe got the email on Monday. Um, so the, the title of this series is How to Be Strange. Um, and I suppose this is a, a recognition of the fact that in the world's eyes, Christians can be seen as being a little bit strange. We're a bunch of weirdos. And when other people from outside actually start to think about some of the things that we just believe and think about, they're, they're probably not wrong. We kind of are weirdos, aren't we? we? We believe some really ridiculous, outlandish things, but they're true things, and we believe that. So we're going to think about, well, how do we, as a group of, of strange people in a strange land, a, a world that is uh, in many ways opposed to Christianity and in many ways uh, standoffish with Christianity, um, how do we as Christians live in this world? How do we interact with it? Um, so we're going to be thinking about that, and we're going to be doing that by looking at the, the letter of First Peter, um, a book that, that talks lots about and really focuses on how, how do we as Christians interact and live in the world that, uh, that is uh, here, that this world where, where we are living in light of the resurrection, but Jesus has not yet returned, and we're living in that tension. Um, so Today uh, and next week, we have Moor Casement. Uh, Moor uh, has been with us many times before. Um, he hasn't been in the clay. I started to worry at about five past one. I started to, I started to worry a little bit that, that Moor still thought we were in Nero's. Um, but it's all fine. He's here. Um, so it's great to have you with us, Moor. Um, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to you sharing with us. But just before Moor comes to, to speak to us, we're going to read. If you uh, see on the, the tables today, um, Sam has given Moor one of, I think, the biggest passage we've ever had at Gospel and Sydney, and then he's cleared off on holiday for the week, so he's well out of the way. Um, but we're, we're going to look at this, Mur's going to look at this passage with us. Um, but just for now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, just a, a couple of sections of it for you. Um, but I just thought it would be useful for you to have the whole passage in front of you. So you'll have that. And then there's also the handout with the, the little titles and discussion questions as well. So have both of those things in front of you. Um, and we're just going to read, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1, and then verses 13 and 14. Um, so verses 1 to 7, just at the top of the page, and then 13 and 14, which is the third, fourth paragraph down there on the first page. This is, uh, this is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for, the obedient, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then down to, to verse 13 and 14. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Let me just pray, uh, and then Muriel will come and, and share with us. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity to come and uh, just to sit in your presence, to get away from our desks, to get away from our, our work um, and its stresses and strains, to, to be able to just get away from the world for, for half an hour and to think and to refocus on you. Uh, Lord, as we begin this new series, uh, thinking about how we live in this world, how we, how we interact with people around us, how we, we live for you and share you and hold on to that hope. Father, we pray that you will, will be with us today. We pray that you'll, you'll help us to know uh, your presence here. Speak to us through what Moore says. Lord, be with him as he comes to, to share with us. Uh, and Lord, just encourage us, uh, challenge us and equip us to go back into this world and to serve and live for you. Amen. The music of the spheres. Um, Thanks for your introduction, which kind of stole my thunder there, because what Stephen said is essentially what we're going to be thinking about for the next few minutes. Um, I am not going to walk you through every verse of this massive chunk um, and uh, Sam's kind of suggesting I give you some sort of overview of the gospel in First Peter and all sorts of things. Um, I just don't have the time to do justice to this, so um, this is going to be very selective, but hopefully there'll be one or two things that will lodge with us that will be helpful for us uh, as we uh, seek to live as Christians in this world where we are effectively strangers. Um, not so long ago, On the radio, I heard a BBC correspondent speaking about how she'd recently had builders in her home. As you often do when you're looking for someone to do building work, you ask for personal recommendation from friends or other people that you trust. And that is what she did. Um, But she didn't do her homework all that thoroughly because horror of horrors, she discovered once these builders arrived that they were born-again Christians. Um, And it was quite insightful just to hear that kind of level of shock that this woman would find herself with Christians in her house. Now, in the end, uh, they did a good job. um, And she came to terms with the fact that she had unwittingly employed workmen who didn't swear. Uh, Although you almost felt that that was a bit of a hurdle for her to get over. It was as if she'd have nearly preferred them to be a little bit dodgy and their language to be rather colourful. Um, <clears throat> now, admittedly, this was happening in London, but it did give an insight into what many people in our society do think of Christians. It's almost as if we're an alien life form from whom you want to keep your distance. And our reaction to that is probably to say, well, how ridiculous can you get? Christians are just like everyone else. And if people took the time to get to know us, they'd realise that we're no different from them. And I get the idea that is behind that sentiment. We don't want people thinking that if we're Christians, we don't live in the real world. We don't have to contend with the issues and problems that other people do. 
nor do we want them to think that we live in another century, dressing and talking in ways that might have been appropriate 70 or 80 years ago, but are not relevant now. Um, but at the same time, the Apostle Peter would tell us that as Christians, we don't belong fully in this world. <clears throat> that we're not meant to be just like everyone else. As Peter writes to Christians who are scattered throughout the different provinces of uh, the Roman Empire, he calls them exiles in verse 1 um, of this letter that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. An exile is someone who's not living in their native land, someone who doesn't really belong to the country in which they find themselves, but who can't, for the moment, be in the land that they actually belong to. Obviously, God's people, the Jews, uh, found themselves sent into exile on occasion, driven from their homeland as a punishment from God for their faithlessness and disobedience. But when Peter is speaking of exile here, he's not talking about the punishment of God. Instead, he's acknowledging that the Christians of his day and indeed of every subsequent day have found themselves living in a place where they don't really belong. Now, on one level, that probably isn't exactly how many of us automatically think of ourselves, especially if we were born in Northern Ireland and we feel some sense of belonging here. For a number of years, I lived in uh, England, um, and even though I was perfectly happy, there was still a sense in which you didn't completely belong. People didn't totally get you. Apologies to anybody who's English here. Um, <clears throat> but um, you may feel like an exile now that you're in Northern Ireland. But um, <clears throat> Peter's not saying that we can't feel some sense of belonging in the place that, that we live. Um, but what he's getting at is that as Christians, we have the hope of a new heaven, a new earth that God will make where we will live with him forever in a place of perfection in perfect relationship with God. And because that is our ultimate destination, that is where we truly belong. And there is a sense in which this world is not our home because this is not a perfect place. This is not where we can know God absolutely perfectly with no hindrance whatsoever. And so there should be something about us that makes us different from those who are living for this life as if it was all there was. To a degree, as Christians, we should be strangers in the world, which is why for this series we're playing on this idea of strangeness in the titles that have been given to the talks. Uh, now, I take no credit for that. I, I hate giving titles to talks. Um, <clears throat> so I was quite happy with, to go with whatever Sam suggested. Um, and, and for this one, he suggested the title Strangely New, but I did say I reserved the right to amend it. Um, and I think probably what we're thinking about today could maybe come under the heading of Strangely Hopeful, um, because that is the first thing that I want us to notice about why it is that we are exiles or strangers in this world. It's because our hope is in an inheritance beyond this world. Peter mentions the word hope five times in this relatively short letter, which would tend to suggest that it's something that he thinks is important. If you kind of worked out proportionately how many times hope appears in First Peter compared with other letters in the New Testament, uh, in relation to its size, it appears more often uh, than in any other letter. Um, and hope, of course, on one level, 
is not something that is unique to the Christian. Everyone hopes for things. And in fact, many would say that when hope is gone, then life is pretty bleak. People feel that there's no point in living if they have nothing to hope for. But for many people, hope is bound up with this life and this world. So they hope to recover from illness. They hope in the midst of a stressful period that a time will come when they can have time off, they can have holiday, the stress will not continue. They put away money in the hope of securing a a retirement that is comfortable. They hope that their children will marry and give them grandchildren or whatever it happens to be. But for the Christian, our hope is different. You see, there are no guarantees of the things that we hope for in this life. Recovery from illness is not guaranteed. A secure and happy retirement isn't the experience of all. Even our hopes for the sun to shine tomorrow may not be met. But notice how Peter describes the Christian's hope in verse 4. He says, our hope is in an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Investments in this life are never watertight. We may put lots away in our pension pot, but a few bad investments could mean we don't get out even what we put in. We may save up to go away on the holiday of a lifetime and end up being sick when we're there and lying flat on our back in a hotel room. Even the home of our dreams doesn't always stay new and beautiful. The paint starts to chip, things get cracked, start to look old-fashioned or whatever. But the inheritance that we have as Christians is completely guaranteed. Nothing can destroy it, nothing can spoil it, and it will never lose its glory. Now, of course, these are big claims for Peter to make, but he's confident in making them because this is not an inheritance that is dependent on human beings. For, as verse 4 says, it is kept in heaven. This is secure because it's dependent on God. And not only that, Peter's keen to reassure his early hearers and us that this inheritance is secure not only because God is keeping it for us, but also because he is keeping us for it. That's what he's getting at in verse 5, when he says that we are being guarded by God's power. So not only do we have this hope that is secure, this inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, But actually he's saying, and you can be sure that you will get it because God is going to keep you for it. Now, you might wonder why it is that the Christians to whom Peter is writing so badly need to hear this. Why is hope so important? Well, several times in this letter, uh, Peter talks about the suffering that uh, the Christians to whom he's writing uh, are facing. It's there in verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says that they have been grieved by various trials. Now there's a bit of a debate as to the nature of these trials. Um, But I think the most likely thing is not that they were suffering extreme persecution. They weren't being used as human torches or being thrown to the lions. Although that might indeed come for some of those to whom uh, Peter is, is writing. But it's likely that he's writing before the time of just that intense level of persecution. And he's writing to people who are being marginalized because of their faith. People are starting to look on them as a 
a little bit weird. They might be overlooked when the next promotion came up because they're a bit too honest or they weren't willing to work night and day in the business because they wanted to spend time with their family or to meet with other Christians. They might not get asked to that party because they're a bit too straight-laced, never going to get drunk. We don't know exactly what it was that they were facing, but there was obviously some pain involved. And we can surely understand that, even if the pain was simply more in terms of what people said to them or how they treated them, rather than anything physical that was being done to them. We can see how that idea that you're committing career suicide or social suicide by being a Christian could be a challenge to your faith. Because we all want to be accepted, don't we? We don't want people to think that we're a bit odd or the kind of person they want to avoid. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And it's the kind of thing that we're starting to see becoming more of an issue in the society in which we live. Often Christians, maybe especially those who are a little bit older and can remember a time when there was more respect generally for Christians and Christian values, can tend to despair, I think, when they look around now, see those values being eroded, and see those who are standing up for the truth of the Bible as being characterised or caricatured as uh, intolerant, bigoted, maybe even a, a bit evil for the views that they hold. And when you've lived in a world where people around you have thought it was quite respectable to be a Christian, well, you don't want things to change and for them to start to think, well, at best you're to be pitied or maybe at worst you're to be vilified and maligned to others. And yet that is what Peter says should be the case for genuine believers. We will not feel at home in this world. We'll not find that everyone automatically loves and respects us because our hope is not just for this world. You see, if your hopes are bound up with this life, then you will want to do whatever suits you and your hopes and dreams. Whether that means having sex with whomever you choose, ending the life of an unwanted child, or even ending your own life at the time of your choosing. And if you're living for the hopes of this world, then it doesn't make sense to deprive yourself or to suffer in the hope of something better to come once this world is over. People will say disparagingly that Christianity is just all about pie in the sky when you die. And put like that, it doesn't sound all that appealing. After all, who wants to sit around on clouds just eating pie all the time? But Christian faith is obviously a lot more than that. It does have implications for how life is now. And the blessings of being a Christian are not exclusively in the life to come. But as Christians, there is a sense in which the future is where it is at. Yes, we can know Jesus now. We can speak to God at any time. We have his help for every moment of life now. But there are trials in this life. And sometimes those trials don't end. And so the hope of the Christian is very different from that of the non-Christian, or at least it should be. Our hope is not for things to get better in the short term. They might, but it's not a disaster if they don't. 
because our hope is for everything to be amazing in the long term. Our inheritance is in heaven, and it's a wonderful one. It's absolutely guaranteed, and it will last forever. And that's why, people, why Peter is able to say in verse 6 of chapter 1 that for a little while we may be grieved by various trials. Compared with eternity, the years of this life are brief. But most people who aren't Christians are desperately living for the most that these brief years can give. And if we're honest, it's sometimes hard not to be affected by that and to think quite similarly to everybody else around us. It's hard not to care what people think of us unless we remember that whatever their opinion is, whether it's good or bad, it's only relevant for a short time. Whereas what God thinks of us matters forever. As Christians, our hope is different from the hope of the non-believer. And often that will put us at odds with the world around us. But there is a second reason that Peter gives in this chapter as to why we are strangers in this world. And that is because we are obedient to God's truth. At the beginning of verse 14, Peter uses the phrase, as obedient children, as he speaks of how the Christian is to live. And again, if you were to look down to verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Peter, like the other New Testament writers, doesn't leave faith on the level simply of intellectual assent. It's completely tied up with obedience. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If we believe that Jesus died to save us from the consequences of sin and to make us new creations by the power of the Holy Spirit, then that must have implications for how we live now. As Peter writes to Christians who are under pressure to conform to the pagan patterns and practices of the world around them, he reminds them that they are to be different because they serve a God who is different. God is holy. His desires are not the base desires of this human world. And he calls his people to be holy also. But if we're willing to take that seriously, then that will make us feel like we don't belong in this world. And there will be times when it will make non-Christians around us feel a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps. If we're not affirming the pagan practices of this world by going along with them and indulging in them, then some people will not like that. Even if we're not directly challenging them on how they live and the choices they make, the reality is that if we don't make the same choices, they may to some extent feel judged. And sometimes when people feel like that, they don't simply resort to defending their ways of thinking, but they actually start to attack the way that we think and behave as Christians. And in fact, when they do that, it perhaps shows that they at least have some understanding of the implications of our faith. You see, when we seek to live in line with what God says in his word, we are being obedient to the truth, as Peter says in verse 22. And we are by implication saying to those who don't follow this truth, your way is wrong. It's not just a case of, well, this works for me um, and I'm happy for you to find whatever works for you. If we believe in one God, 
who is the source of all life and all truth, then that does set up a conflict with those who do not believe in him and are not prepared to follow him or submit to his truth. I suppose that for many of us, that the kind of things that we've been thinking about in these last few minutes may not really have impacted us hugely yet at the personal level. It will, it will vary from person to person a little bit. <clears throat> but um, we can probably begin to see this coming as the values of our culture change. And I think one of the important things to remember, based on what Peter is saying at the start of this letter, is that we shouldn't be surprised by this. And almost in a sense, we should be slightly reassured by this. Because we should expect to stand out as different. We shouldn't be surprised when there's some pushback against us for what we believe and how we live. The challenge, though, that probably hits us more as we think about what Peter's been saying about the Christian's hope and the Christian's obedience is whether we stand out as much as we should. And I confess that I find it quite personally challenging to ask myself if someone looked at my life and my priorities, if they listened to my conversation, the hopes and aspirations that I express, would they say that I'm living for the eternal inheritance which God has promised me and for which I believe he is keeping me. And when things feel tough in this life, am I different from those around who are just hoping that the problems will ease and that it'll all get a bit better shortly? Perhaps one of the dangers of living in relative comfort, as, as we all we do, is that the prospect of eternity in the presence of God doesn't perhaps hold the appeal that it should do. For, for Peter's hearers who are beginning to come up against it and see that actually this world and this life doesn't totally deliver and it has plenty of heartaches and problems, then the prospect of a glorious future was a really encouraging one. <clears throat> and just because we're not totally up against it just yet, that doesn't mean that our hopes shouldn't still be in that glorious future. The challenge for us is whether we really do believe that, whether we believe that actually this world will not give us everything that we want, and we're prepared for the sacrifices that are involved in living lives of obedience to Christ, recognizing that as we do that, there will be a challenge to those around us, but that as we do that, we are holding fast to the truth and we have a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's pray together. Father, if we're honest, these verses are challenging because so often what we hope for is still bound up with this life. And in your goodness, often those hopes are fulfilled uh, and you bring some measure of relief in particular situations that we face or whatever it is but Lord we, we pray that you'll help us to take to heart what Peter is saying what you're saying to us through him uh, in these verses in terms of this hope and may we be more and more characterized as, as people who have that future hope firmly in view 
so that that shapes and directs how we live in this world. Not removed from this world, not impervious to what's going on in this life, but conscious that we live in the light of something greater that is to come. May that give us the strength to live for you, to live obediently for you when that is hard and when it would be a lot easier just to go with the crowd. But we pray that you will indeed strengthen us, not by any good or good resolves within us, but by the power of your spirit. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.